0: So, at the start of your career, you trained at Central School of Speech and Drama in London. How was that experience? What was um, that like?
1: Yeah, I think it was a mixed bag for me. I definitely feel like Central was a really great place to be able to develop my craft, um, to um, to you know learn about the theory that underpins my work that I do now. Uh, the applied theatre course is is really great and and churns out really great people. Um, And I think that the problems that they have been dealing with for years and years, which is the systematic racism, is something that they, you know, finally uh, admitted last year and uh, have dedicated to changing. So I look forward to seeing what they do around that. But I have like really fond memories of a a few lecturers there. Um, There are some people that were in my year group that I'm still really cool with. Um, But like with drama school is like very intense. So uh, there are times there that I think were really heightened, but then the opportunities there are really vast. You know, when I was there, I had the opportunity to go to New Zealand and be there for a month um, and then uh, kind of do teacher enroll stuff in those spaces, which were both challenging and hilarious stories that kind of come from that, that stick with me now um and also like the fact that you're you know there's no denying that the name of Central helps open doors for you um and definitely helped open doors for me because but it felt like a world away considering it's in it's in northwest London it's in Hampstead and I I you know was born and raised in northwest London but in Kilburn it's actually walking distance away but um especially with me being poor and not being able to board the bus at the time, definitely was walking distance away. Um, but it felt like a whole other world. It felt like it was like it could have been, you know, miles away. It was, it was so very different to the world in which I grew up in. Um, so I think by having that title, with, um, you know, being a black working class woman who doesn't, you know, speak RP, Coming, having that on my CV definitely helped me navigate certain spaces early in my career.
0: So what was the diversity amongst the demographic of students who were studying at Central? Were there many people from the same cultural background as you or same socioeconomic background as you? What was that like?
1: Yeah, I would say that it was probably about, I would say about 90-10 in the economic group. Uh, situation. And I would say that the 10% of like poor people just like hung out together, <laughs> I suppose. I suppose that's how we connected uh, ourselves, um, like, you know, regardless of where they were in the UK or where they were coming from in the UK. Um, but then, uh, race wise, I think out of like maybe 60 people in the year group, I think there were like four black people, which is quite good for Central, actually. But not good
0: overall, obviously. No, not at all. Not at all. And as you've already said, you know, this is a systemic problem that runs through the majority of drama schools. And I don't quite understand the idea that it never has to be addressed or perhaps the ignorance that drama schools may feel that they are diverse and are catering towards all of their students and all welcoming for people from all different backgrounds and cultures. When actually they're being told different, yet those changes still don't ever happen. Um. So where, do, where, especially in central, you know, where do you think that, where do you think that that ignorance potentially exists, or how do how do they go about? making Central a more inclusive school?
1: I think it, I think um, inevitably, and I can only speak for the applied theatre course, and I'm assuming that in other courses it's probably worse uh, in their experiences, but because of the applied theatre course and what we were there to learn, which is, you know, to being, you know, teaching about theory and stuff, but also being mindful of community and all those things, I assume... For me, it was more lecture by lecture, depending on where people's empathy or understanding um, lay. And and then that, yeah, that varied in who you were speaking to. And then as the organized, as the actual building, like the, you know, the drama school within itself, it did have like support services and things like that. But unless you were in dire need and went to someone about it, to me, I don't remember it being like, uh, really obvious it wasn't an obvious thing that was just kind of like you know provided but I think it comes from more um, ignorance of the time of trying to like collectively treat everyone the same and I think that uh, they were trying to treat people uh, equally as opposed to with equity maybe um, and so that's probably where they sat at the time it it's a bit skewed and I think that You know, there were times where things came up like, you know, us going to New Zealand and uh, really ignorant comments coming from other classmates who hadn't, you know, been around Black London people before and didn't understand where uh, my mindset was and was like, would say really ignorant comments like, uh, would you know, because he's so excited about seeing a black sand beach and that wouldn't be as exciting for me. And then they're being like, oh my gosh, this is the first time you're ever going to see this in your life. And it's like, actually my family's from the Caribbean. Like we, the first time I ever saw was a black sand beach. Like just the kind of cultural differences around that. I think people didn't decipher. And I think the money in which you had to have being a month in New Zealand, like took me months to recover from. There were things that you could apply for in like AHRC and money and stuff like that to support your flight and whatever, but just like spending money on food and, and doing the same activities that everyone else and feeling like you fit in in that, like uh, is a lot of pressure and is a lot of... um it's, it, I just don't think it was really considered as much as it should have been. And the support wasn't as there as I thought it should have been um, for someone who isn't economically in a space where they're like, just put it on your credit card or just ask your mum for a loan or blah blah blah, whatever it is that people rich people do I don't know but um <laughs> and I think that it, it it can make you feel very alienating when you're in those spaces or you're in those placements or you're you're traveling to wherever I, but I also do think it comes from just the ignorance of just when you have it it's hard for you to understand to people who don't you know it's kind of like with us working from home at the moment like I literally in my mind I'm like does everyone have a desk to be able to work from home, like in their house, like I don't think everyone does. They have like a makeshift desk, or they have a, you know, or they've bought one now, or they're using their table. But like the kind of desk that they say health and safety wise, you should be using your offices. You don't really have that from home. But people don't want to talk about digital poverty because in their mind, they're like, "Well, I have it, so other people must," and it's just not the case. But I do think it comes from ignorance rather than um, intentionally trying to
0: alienate people so after drama school what were your first steps into professional practice
1: so for me, there was never any after drama school. It was very much during. <laughs> um, so I was very much like, yeah, after this, I need to get a job. I need to work. Like, I've not got the money to just, like, chill, start my own theatre company or whatever else people do um, or go travelling for a year or whatever. So I very much wanted, uh, again, What's good about Central is that a lot of opportunities to, like, you know, assist or placement or volunteer at things came through, um your emails um so it was actually a volunteering experience with theater all Stratford for in like 2008 with their um Ithia festival which is international festival of emerging artists at the time which was such a cool festival um and it was like volunteering on that that gave me uh, that, that like made me meet Jan Sharkey-Dogs who used to run Theatre of Stratford East's um, engagement department and like I was really interested in the kind of work they were doing in buildings and I was like oh cool I want your job and she was like yeah cool have it <laughs> <laughs> she was like you know really encouraging talking I was just like really interested to just hear about you know the program how that works how that producing that happens or whatever and, um, and then I went on to ushering there while as most people do I ushered there what through drama school and then I had my placement there and then while I was at my placement I went to uh like it was a it was I think a PAL network or LCC I'm not sure what network it was it was some sort of group thing that was happening and I met someone from Lyric Hammersmith and I was like hi <laughs> I'm looking for work if there's any like you know I'm still a student but I'm doing the supply theater course if there's any like assistant facilitator work I'm into it so that was like my first proper like paid repeated gig was in my third year at Lyric Hammersmith being an assistant facilitator when they offered me the like uh, I was like willing to do it for free as well like I was like oh I want volunteers to do it And when they offered me a fee, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're going to pay me to do something. I was so excited. And I had to, like, play it down, you know, when they're like, oh, we haven't got much budget, so we can only give you this. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, So I remember that excitement and that feeling. And then I went on to be um, an intern at Hampstead Theatre, and they had a creative engagement department at that time in 2010. So I was the temporary creative learning officer there. And I went on to Oval House and then it goes on from there.
0: Brilliant. So would you say that as your career has progressed, you've now stepped away from facilitating? Would you say you facilitate less now and that your your kind of main day-to-day is producing creative projects and being that creative manager that now supervises Um, the curation of this sort of work?
1: Yeah, I would say that I you know I would say that that was a conscious choice I would say that my career is split between like my writing stuff as an artist and then me as uh, a creative engagement producer and I think that it I still have the ability to deliver workshops and I still do deliver some workshops mostly writing workshops producing workshops things like that rather than facilitating just drama workshop games or like intro to or, or things like that or you know, delivering something that is more kind of leaning to, leaning to facilitate a facilitator director because I was never really interested in directing, directing. So I, w- I think that's where it kind of moved to. So yeah, I would definitely say my, my career has moved on to being a producer slash writer now.
0: Cool. Shireen, what are some of the biggest differences in venues that you've worked in? Like what are the things that, Maybe upon reflection, you've kind of said, do you know what, here, they did this really, really well. And actually, now I'm at this theatre, I've realised that maybe they didn't do that very well. Like, oh, there's some really integral things that you've picked up on throughout your development and time working for different organisations.
1: Yeah, do you know what is right? I have a very... I now, in reflection... Uh, can be very, I was very lucky to be able to have worked with all the organisations that I've worked with. I've worked with a lot of London organisations, like in their offices, in their buildings. Um, and, you know, being in roles of which you, you can just observe a lot of stuff and really kind of soak in that learning. And I definitely think that I've taken a bit from every organisation. I've been through small organisations, I've been through large organisations like Barbican and National, like and I definitely take a bit from all. And then also it kind of uh, shapes you to be like, what kind of producer do you want to be? Are you a cross arts producer or a dance producer? Are you a, you know, uh, a theatre producer? Like, what is your interest like? And I think having all of those things have really shaped where I am now. I'm more focused in exactly what I want to do and what I'm interested in. Um, but I think what really struck with me is the communities in all places, obviously, but specifically, I feel like there's something about East London communities that are really rooted in that word community. Like they really, I feel like my time with the Old Stratford East and Hackney Empire, like people would have just gone there to just hang out, um, no, no matter what happened. Like they could have, they could literally been like, "There's some tea," and people would have been there, like. Or they could have been like, you know, just come and do, we're doing a photo shoot outside and people would have been there. Like, and I feel like, and you know, when I went to schools in Hackney to deliver stuff, um, when you'd be like, oh, who knows Hackney Empire, all the kids would put up their hands. And you don't get that every, like, all the places. You don't get that everywhere um, in London. And I've now worked in most places in London, everywhere in London. And you don't, like, even how big national is, you'll go to some places and they'll be like, oh, do you know national theatre? And they're like, not really. Um, but those people will know Hackney Empire, And I feel like that tells you a lot about how committed they are to the community. Yet probably they're the least resourced um, venues out there. But they really care in my opinion not that other places don't but you can tell that it's very much like East London born and bred energy that's there which I thought was really inspiring to me of how we talk about community and and maybe it's also in the fact of them employing some people that actually live in the area and and embedding that in a way that really feels local I think is really nice And I thought that it was very indicative to how East London was until I came to Young Vic and really felt like at Young Vic, I don't know about other South London venues so much, but at Young Vic. The community that has been grown within Neighbourhood Theatre specifically has very much that energy of like feeling like they own the building. The people who encompass it, the participants, own the space. It's not about us and what we're delivering per per se. It's more about them and what they want. And it's us responding to them. And we have that responsibility to do that.
0: So other than, as you've said, the fact that they proactively employ artists and people from the community to help really embed it and develop those pathways. What do you think are the other invaluable ingredients for creating a theatre that feels and is representative of its community?
1: I think it's partially that but also like you know as I'm um, as I said I'm from North West London so and I've worked in most organizations but I think it's really about understanding the area that you're in as well like I think getting up and getting out of the building and actually exploring the area and like finding out what a local where your local is and what finding out where you like like um, young people hang out or finding out what community centers are out there finding out what resources are in those um communities are really important like often when people talk about oh we're doing these great things um I'm like okay but how far reaching is that so you know in regards to physical miles how far reaching is that because an area is vast and so we're not just talking about if we're talking about you know young Vic I'm not just talking about the cut and I'm not just talking about up till Elephant and Castle. We're talking about Brixton. We're talking about Peckham. We're talking about Bagel King. We're talking about Aylesbury Estate. We're talking about Burgess Park. And I've never lived in South. So I would love to have, I would say that um, having the energy of, uh, you know, we're talking about Burmesey, places like that, and having the energy of the of the area in your building, you need to come out and come back in. You need to really explore what's around you, I
0: think it's important. I completely agree. I completely agree. And aside from this podcast, there's there's a larger conversation that for us to have. Um especially to maybe detail and, and give my opinion in regards to my practice and the oh. the communities that I've worked in and my experiences working in organizations. But I think you're completely right. I think the I think the solution is that the further up organisations you go, the theatre and the organisation is representative of the communities that inhabit its cities or its towns, that there is a spread of opinions and voices around that table. But sadly, Mm -hmm. I will say the shorthanded version is that what happens or in my experience what I see happening is that organizations aren't diverse enough. They don't make enough proactive effort to actually be responsible Uh in regards to who is out on the ground and who Uh is actually putting in the effort and the time to create cohesion between an organization Uh and the community it represents. Uh And all that does is result in opportunistic, tokenistic statements that organizations are constantly doubling back on themselves to try and make themselves appear as if they are representative and they're not. And I don't quite know how you remedy that other than the things that we've both suggested. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah. No, I genuinely think that, I, I agree with that, I, I would say that I'm very lucky to work in an organisation now that has those people, like I genuinely think our artistic director and exec director are those people and actively do go out in their areas and actively, but I think it's because if you look back at their job history, that there's a creative engagement element there, and often, and you say, you see the same with like Lynette Linton at Bush, like her history at Gate has that creative engagement so and Daniel Bailey as well and they're kind of working together to make sure they build that up in that West London like you can see that from those people so I think it's about um and Roy Alexander Wise with him going to Manchester and his background being in creative engagement as well and you can see the priorities in 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 his programming and I think I think that's where it comes from I think that actually everyone at the top should have some sort of link to creative engagement work on their CV or they should just not be hired to be honest.
0: Mm. And I saw Daniel Bailey's name credited on Paved with Gold.
1: That's a different Daniel Bailey.
0: Oh <laughs> okay. <Yeah>.
1: Alright.
0: <laughs> Sorry I was trying to segue nicely there into paved with gold. No,
1: but it was it's a Daniel Bailey that works with Lynette Linton um, Black Apron Company. So it's their company that um commissioned paved with gold.
0: sure Sure. so how did that all come about um what was your experience with that um
1: honestly I feel like it was a couple of days originally it was meant to be Kwame was meant to write something Kwame was meant to write something I don't even know if I'm meant to say this but this is the truth to be honest so Kwame was meant to write something and then um he couldn't because of uh personal reasons he couldn't do it anymore and then um Lynette called me and was like hey do you think you'd be able to write this thing this is the parameters of it but it is in like a couple of whatever time it was and so I was like yeah sure cool I'll write it um so like I just wrote it um I was like sick at the time. I think I had like flu or something. So I was like, "Yeah, when I like get better, I'll like you know write it." Or and she was like, "This is deadline, this is whatever." I was like, "Cool, I love a deadline. I'm very much like a deadline person. If you give me six months to write, so I think I'll write right in the last week." So that made sense to me, where it was like really quick turnaround. So I like wrote it, and then um, what happened? And then they filmed it. I feel like that's all that happened
0: okay yeah and where did the inspiration for the story come from
1: um so it came from my mom and my niece's relationship so that's why it's kind of like um attributed to them um because my mom always like my mom is from St Vincent originally and I came over here when she was like 12 and spoke about like going to raves here like house parties here and like her mom being a god-fearing <laughs> woman and not in, like including secular music in her house she obviously wasn't for that and so it was more around like music being her her link to her mother home but also her actual home not being a place where she could be herself so this is the only place that she could be Herself as a young person. And the fact that I think my niece now is like my mum, like they're so similar. They're, and so I so I very much like took it from conversations with them too, of like their links with each other, of like finding home in partying, in music, in um being with people and enjoying, you know. Um, and then obviously as it speaks about in the in the film. <laughs> The, the repercussions of that of going home and and have it being like having locked out of your house or having water thrown on you or having like your bed taken out of your room or whatever as punishment but being like well I'm gonna go again I'm gonna do it again because it was worth it um and that just kind of cheekiness of like I think is really interesting because you people think of their mothers as their mothers but actually they're whole human beings that have a whole life before you and so I thought that was quite interesting to have like someone like Angela Winter, who I think is really um, similar to my mum anyway, and like um, grace and energy um, represent that character and like flashback into how that made them feel. So that was really special project to me. Um, And obviously linked to uh, the kind of provocation of uh, the Windrush 70th anniversary. So obviously, yeah.
0: And how did they react to that? Obviously seeing or hearing their story kind of being fed back to them. Did (laughs) you tell them that that's what had inspired you to write the story?
1: Yeah, yeah, they came to, like, the premiere that was, like, a real court. They really liked it. They really enjoyed it. They thought it was, like, written really well. Um, And they were, like, that is spot on, like, in regards to just the dialogue and the pace actually in which considering i wasn't directing like the pace in which angela delivered it was exactly how it was in my in my mind when i was writing it so um yeah they thought it was beautiful
0: yeah so did i, I i've thoroughly enjoyed it It was a really great piece of work yeah. so you're now the director of taking part at young vic How did you end up at Young Vic? You know, I guess if you're saying that your career's kind of meandered you in that direction, how did that all come about?
1: So really funny story. Um, Basically, and we're going to go back and we're going to go forward real quick. So basically when I was in drama school, in my third year of drama school, um, I read Kwame Kweimar's play, *Almina's Kitchen, and I was like really inspired by it. And I was like, this is a great play. Who's this guy? Like, I didn't know nothing about nothing right so I was like who is this guy who wrote this like there's a black man that writes a play about like Caribbean in a restaurant like this is this was mind-blowing to me at the time and then at Central I remember people being like oh you know he's quite a big deal I'm not sure if you like we'd be able to get him into the der. um and then I saw that he was having a play at Tricycle at the time it's called Tricycle and in Kill now which obviously is in Kilbunch down the road from my house. And so I saw that there was like a and a section bit. So I was like, oh, I'm going to book to go to that. So I went down there. And this is what I'm saying about like people helping our community. So I went down there. I didn't have enough money. And they were like, oh, you know, we have discounts for Brent residents. And I was like, yeah, I'm a Brent resident. <laughs> so I was like, boom. And I'm a student. And I'm this. And then like, everyone helped me out to get these tickets. So I got tickets for me and my mum. And then we went down there. And then... um I asked a question about something. I think it was about multimedia and theatre. And then afterwards, everyone's like queuing up to speak to him. I queued up to speak to him. Before I spoke to him, um, he was like, he was like, oh, just want to say like, that was an amazing question that you asked about it. Most people just ask, it's like, how do you learn your lines? Things like that. And he was like, oh, that was a really interesting question. Are you a student or something? I was like, yeah, that's essential. I just like told him the story of how I'm in his kitchen to the den. I was just like, you know, I've spent, I just thought I'd come down and spend my last money on tickets for like to see this. And I'm so excited to the den. And he was like, oh my God, you spent your last money. I was like, yeah, but don't worry about it. And he was like, hold on to the queue. And he took me to the side of like the bar bit. And he took out 20 pounds out of his wallet. And he, and he went to give me 20 pounds. I was like, no, 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 you don't have to give me back the money. He was like, no, like you've invested in your future. And so what you'll do in the future, because you will make it, you'll invest in somebody else's future. So this is me investing in you and now you need to invest in somebody else, right? And he doesn't even remember this. I reminded him of this recently, but he didn't remember this. But this was like a big spark in my life. That was a big thing that someone done for me. Really massive. Um, and then I was like, oh my gosh, like you're amazing. Can you be my mentor? Da, da, da. So he ended up being my mentor. And I, I spoke to Central and I was like, "How? what exactly is a mentor? So they like sent around the guidelines of what a mentor is. Da, da, da. So they like helped kind of, uh, fit that and then he came and spoke to us at Central, like our class and stuff. And was we like, oh, you know, I'm only here because Shereen asked me, and all like, you know, that upped my <laughs> upped my credentials at Central, which was good. And then he went to Baltimore, obviously, to be artistic director. Um, and then I didn't see him for years. And then um because young things was always seen as a director's theatre, I didn't really pay much mind to it. Cause as I said before, I don't wanna, I didn't want to be a director. Um, and I'd only ever written. So I was more engaged with people like Royal Court, um, Old Vic, New Voices at the time, some other spaces, um, Fiat for 503, things like that, Soho, Lyric. So I didn't really engage with them. So I didn't even think to my mind that I would work there for anything. And then so I was at National at the time and I was doing uh working at uh working on, per- on Pericles, which is the first public acts. Um show and then I don't know it was like in the, I, was, remember I was in office and then someone was like oh my gosh they've got a new artist director young pick it's Kwame Koma and I was like oh my gosh that's crazy that's so cool And I was like, so excited that I like, I remember I ran into like HR and told my friend and I was like, oh, that's it. Like, I'm not working for the rest of the day. This day is like, this is such amazing news that he's like going to be our director, not just because of, you know, him being my previous mentor, but him being a a black man, being, you know, an artist director of such a big organization was like such a big deal for me. And so inspiring for me. But I was like, it's been years. He's not going to remember me because everyone's like, oh, you should reach out. to I was like, no, no, no. And then I saw the job come up, which is the head of neighborhood there. And I was like, this is my job. Like, this is such a cool job. And everyone still was like, oh, you should reach out. I was like, no, no, no. And so I like, usually I put stuff in my applications about like, quite maybe my mentor and inspiring to the best. So I took all of that stuff out and just put all of my like experience stuff. And then like, had the first interview and then, you know, got through to the second interview and he was at the second interview. And I was like, oh, this is really awkward. Because I haven't seen him since, <laughs> like, you know, I was a child and um and then got to the second interview and the first thing he said to me he was like he's like why didn't you tell anyone that you know me and i was like oh, hi. <laughs> i didn't <laughs> i was like i well i wanted to get why i wanted to get this job for my own credit and also like i didn't want to seem like a beg like to be like oh yeah i know karma i know though like no 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 like i i should get it because i get it um but that was kind of like the, and then obviously I got the job. And then um, a year later, my manager left for Sonia Friedman. And then I applied for the director of Taking Part. And so that's the story in Balamori, really.
0: And what a story. It's like fate. Like it was inevitable that you were to mm-hmm. arrive at Young Vic and, and be doing the role and the job that you're doing now. Is Taking Part a rebrand that you're responsible for in regards to the the learning department at Jumvik or is that something, was it always called that? I mean, is that how you see taking part as a learning department or a creative engagement department?
1: Oh, So t- taking part as a brand name is not my name at all. So the person who um, created the department was Sue Emmers, who's our current associate artist director and runs the director's programme. Um, and she uh created that like 20 whatever years ago um which (laughs) she was really young when she created that and it was a really amazing legacy um and then my previous uh manager held that department for seven years and done amazing stuff with it um and then so I would say my iteration um is kind of like the third incarnation of taking part and our kind of um push and aims for stuff is more leaning to longer-term engagement, is leaning to um, thematic responses to what's going on in the world today, rather than beforehand it does a parallel to the main house productions. So that's what I would say are the, are the specific links. Um, we still, we have throughout, um, and I think, um, yes, yeah, so as I know we've always worked with professional artists rather than facilitators in our work. Um, we've worked with like as in directors, writers who are working in main house stages as well as as what we do, because for two reasons, one, uh, we definitely want to make sure that our work is at a certain quality creatively, um, that as in our productions, not necessarily our projects, our productions are like held at that same level as it would be done in main house, but also that those, artists are coming through whether they're emerging or, or established that are working with our community groups young people schools whatever are learning as well like they're not coming to impact uh to inflict their kind of like oh this is how we do things in the theater and now you must listen to us it's also going how about you interrogating the way that you work with uh, a piece of work one that isn't Uh, the stakes aren't terribly high it's not being reviewed it's not a paid audience but you're working with groups of which you need to work with them differently and hopefully the way in which you work with them can impact how you work with professionals that are getting paid the same way you're working with non-professionals aren't getting paid um because we should really be treating everybody with kindness and respect at all times not just going oh we're working with community groups so we have to be a bit softer no it's not that at all the the level of Uh, artistic excellence is still being held as high as anything Um, it's just more about how we get there and and how we manage the spaces to make sure that um, care and creativity sit side by side
0: absolutely absolutely so how do you form that recruitment pool of artists is it through recommendation do artists get in contact how is that how is that shaped or if you were an artist looking to get involved with you and Vic how would you go about doing that
1: yeah so there's two things one I'm actually looking now especially like post uh I was gonna say post COVID but we're still in it we're post like lockdown world um of last year I'm looking at how we can how I can like open the pool out so that people feel like they can just like Holler at us and be like, oh, you know, if there's anything going on, because you do get um random emails from people about stuff, and and some stuff might trigger, and you're like, oh yeah, let's have a meeting. But I feel like it feels more like in the know, and it feels like a bit beggy as well, like. And I want people to feel like we can just have conversations about stuff, and that people, everybody is considered. So I'm thinking about that at the moment. So I don't have the answer for that in the future, um but it will be coming out this year. But I would say that previously, it's more in regards to what I've seen. So it's actually about seeing people's work. Um, so we were very much encouraging people to like invite us to stuff, like let us know what you have going on, like seeing things on Twitter of what's hot, what's happening. And then looking basically on the free sheet of like oh that was a great lighting who's the lighting designer on this oh that's great sound who's the sound designer so writing for this who's the director for that or whatever so it's more and like uh, we used to um we obviously or well, everyone used to go to edinburgh festival and stuff and and see the work there as well was really where we kind of um sort out people um and we took unsolicited emails obviously from people and I still do but in the world and why I say now I'm really think, rethinking really about how to do this because in the world of like having a year of not very much apart from like some digital output how do then we start to re-engage some of those artists that are up and coming that have been doing those programs that have been like you know had uh some stuff on stage that want to develop it further and want to get in touch with us with various roles like it's a tricky thing of how to make that happen um, without being see- seeing people's work. So I'm looking at that.
0: Cool. Okay. And what are the different strands of taking part? What are the different people, who are the different people that you engage? How yeah. do you go about engaging them? What's What's the different groups that take part?
1: Yeah so basically we don't have a um, like we don't have a youth theatre, we don't have like a regular youth theatre in that way, so we kind of have a split of three strands in in taking part. We have Neighbourhood Theatre which is for over 25s, we're one of the few theatres that actually provides um, activities, productions, projects for over 25s in the Lambeth and Suffolk area um, and we do various things like writers workshops, acting, uh, no, writers program, sorry, right actors programs, um, backstage stuff. Obviously, we just did 2020, um, which has our big films with community organizations. Um, we've done American Dream in the past with Emma Dennis Edwards and um, Daniel Bailey, uh, and that was full fledged fully fledged production in the Claire. Um uh and we also have Neighborhood Theatre Company, which is our like regular. Group of people who, as I said before, own the building, really. I'm just sitting in it for a while, but they really own the building and they kind of keep us accountable for the work that we do throughout the year and we meet kind of quarterly. Um, and then in then we have participation, which is our under 25s informal um kind of strands, where it was just basically young people outside of education, aged um, I think from 11 plus from 11 to 25 um and we do a range of things so at the moment we're doing young board and leadership program uh, we've got a young mentor scheme where we train up and then pay young people to be mentors to CEOs and exec directs in, in companies um because I think it's important So if you're going to get consultancy of young people, you should pay them. Um, <laughs> and uh, then we have our learning strand, which is our schools um, and further education and higher education and placements kind of strand, where we're working on a massive new project that looks at more in depth learning in schools using creativity across all of the subjects. Um, but we do various things uh, like productions with SEMD groups and PRUs. um, And we work with drama schools and then we obviously take placements and do work experiences and things
0: like that. Amazing. What a wide range of opportunities you offer. With the neighbourhood group, Serene, you mentioned ownership, particularly ownership of the building, Mm -hmm. creating a dialogue so that communities, participants can feed back to the theatre about how they feel about the space, how they can improve the space. How do you create, but more importantly, sustain such a channel of communication with those participants? How what does that look like? How is that set up? Yeah.
1: So we have we have four meetings a year, um, of which we then set the agenda of that, and then uh, we speak about the kind of like updates of young folk of what's going on right now what there are things to be coming up with, bespoke projects that are specifically for them as a group, um, things that we want to run by them, ideas that we want to run by them. Um, sometimes they act as an ambassador for us for stuff so that we might be like, oh, we really want to work on something around mental health. And they might be like, oh, you know, I I I volunteer at a mental health organisation or in my, um, you know, estate, we are doing this at the moment. This would be really good for this. I can connect you with that. So they kind of like... Are, um. An amalgamation of of different uh things really in that time it's 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 a weird it's not really set in advance because it, it should feel more organic than that and then outside of those set four meetings then they have access to us at all times like we have a neighborhood theater inbox that they can email us at any time about stuff when i first started um they were very much like a few of them were very much like can we grab a coffee in the bath you can't do that anymore but can we grab a coffee and I was like yeah sure and we just chatted to them sometimes they would just like turn up at um box office and be like oh blah blah downstairs and you just chat to them or they'd like um engage in a project of ours uh, or feedback about stuff like you know also good things for, things for us to know of being like oh well you know this project really works well but actually because I work and it now be at 5.30 rather than five, like things like that, um, we consider in regards to our feedback and our planning of projects. Um, and then I would say that, uh, which is really good in regards to that is that they get invited to stuff. So they get invited to like press nights and they get invited to, um, like theater clubs or the projects or just one-off things that we're doing. Um, they would kind of be part of that as much or as little as they wish to.
0: Great. And how can people get involved with some of the things that you've spoken about today? Is that just a simple yeah. email to yourself or to box office? No,
1: they literally just email um so as if you're over 25, you email neighborhood theatre and just say, hey, I want to sign up to your to your mailing list. And if you're under 25, then you just email uh, participation just say "Hi, hey, I want to sign up to your mailing list all of the details is on the website anyway which is youngvic.org but the um, email is literally participation at youngvic.org and um, neighbourhood theatre at youngvic.org um, and just say yeah I want to sign up to your mailing list and that's pretty much it
0: easy great so the participation strand that is specifically for young people outside of education. Is that right? Yeah,
1: but obviously, you know, you could still be in, it's more in regards to if we've engaged, so learning is more if we've engaged with you through your school. So you wouldn't really sign up to learning in that way, even if you're in school. But say if you're like 16 and you're like, oh yeah, I'm in sixth form, but I do want to be part of this, then you go through participation because it's not like we're engaging with your whole school. It's just you as an individual, but you would be doing projects that would be um informal rather than with your school as a whole with
0: your class i see i see i see i see what influences the participation work like how big is the company of young people that you're working with do they attend different workshops is it different young people each time or is it a set group that meets each week
1: no it's completely mixed so we have on our participation list we have 1700 and something on our mailing list, and um, we do newsletters so we send them newsletters or opportunities that are coming up, uh, both paid and not, and then they just sign up to what they want to.
0: Cool. The 2020 films, let's talk about those because I absolutely love them, and each one of them mm-hmm. was so unique, I enjoyed watching all three of them Thank you. from the participants. Each narrative. And because I don't know the creative team or process, but each narrative and story was so, so different. And, and I think that that's what I love the most. The fact that the films reflected mm. the talent and the passion of each group's participants. And that was only highlighted through the performance that they gave in each film. You know, the, the blending of professional and community cast was absolutely perfect. And, and I just wanted to know, first of all, how did those films come together? Because most importantly, I think, how did they come together in regards to COVID and lockdown? Particularly because from the outside looking in, it almost appeared that it was like a seamless transition that almost put the spotlight on Young Vic being so proactive at, at, at kind of re their attention to digital performance. How did you do that that? That was... That was a big move, a big move. I know, right?
1: <laughs> um, I'm just very good at planning, Tom. I'm obviously a great producer. No, um, this was first an idea in March 2019. I'm not gonna lie to you, I did have an inkling that 2020 was gonna be a big year. Um, but generally I think loads of people did, but for not the reasons that <laughs> it was. Um, and so the idea of uh of it was very much like, I want to, it actually came from me being like, I want to be out. I want to be in the community. I want to do stuff with organizations that are doing great work. Um, And I want it to be a really big long-term project um, that creatively is ambitious. Um, And so it was meant to be originally three plays um, with the the three organizations, which was obviously Blackfriars, Thames Reach and Certitudes. And then we just kind of got a great creative team together throughout the last part of 2019, launched it in November 2019, and then started in-person uh, just workshops with the participants. And then when COVID locked down here, we shifted to moving online. And then when it looked like it wasn't going to be a play anymore, we were like, okay, let's Uh, rather than either cancelling it or keep shifting it let's kind of I I looked at um the fact that TV and film industry had already got guidelines in place to be able to keep filming so I was like let's adapt to that form and let's make that happen um and then we brought in a a film company T Films in to be part of that and then uh the writers were like cool let's rewrite (laughs) with that in mind. And I, you know, and then obviously we, we went to film it, but with the actual times, the actual dates that we had in the diary to film was the exact dates that we were back in a local lockdown, which, (laughs) which was interesting. Um, But we, we worked around it and we were still able to film. So that was really great. Um, And then obviously now we've released it in a third lockdown. So yeah, I, I think that, it shows you that resilience, perseverance uh really is important and you know creativity and joy as an act of resistance is a real thing. And I think it really helped everyone in you know, over the past year to be able to focus on this creative thing that was happening um, rather than what was happening in the world at that time. It was a good distraction, um, but also creatively shows what we can do when we're really pushed against it. Um Yeah, so I'm
0: really proud of it. Yeah, damn right. What a process and what an achievement. After listening to what you've just said, you know the the story of your tenacity to get, see this project through during such a chaotic time just raises the value of that work even higher, especially because you have a community cast as well. And the commitment that you had to them and you saw that through, even throughout all of mm. the mess that was lockdown. Like, what a story! I wish that that story, like, was on the website because I think yeah. it just, you know, after as time goes on and we reflect on this period. Well, I, I've got the story here first on the podcast, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. So, but yeah, wow, that's really interesting. So, were all of the actors also participants in the workshops? Is that what happened? Yeah. And for a lot of them, was it their first time doing anything like this? I mean, what was the experience level like of the group?
1: Yeah, for a lot of them, it was their first time. Um, A lot of them were... uh, ready with the plays and then you kind of like and then it was like turning to films and it was like oh films I've never done film like how's that gonna be how am I gonna look on screen am I gonna have to learn my lines? but actually turns out really well because on film you can like feed lines and things like that and you have opportunity to re-record so we were just like don't worry about it you know it'll all be sorted we can edit stuff we can like work stuff out and we wanted to make sure that it felt like as easy and seamless as a, and a process, but also fun um, as a process and safe as a process as possible. So I think that it's really interesting because um, we had the watch party actually um, for it when it came out and uh, the organisational leads were like, oh my gosh to blah 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 you were like I'm not gonna do this at the beginning of the project like I'm not gonna perform they can't make me and then now you're like lead person in this and you know it's so interesting when I and I I go through this process every time when I'm creating a production where you always get participants that are like no this isn't for me no you're not gonna get me to do this and I was like okay cool I mean, it's not like we're like pushing anyone to do anything. We're just like, cool, let's just take it one step at a time. Let's just do this. And let's do that. And let's do that. And if you want to be part of it, then cool. If not, then that's fine. Um, and and often that people just get sucked into the creativity, like <laughs> the creativity is too infectious where they're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind doing this if I have this. And it's like, yeah, fine. That's completely possible. So I think it's just about meeting people where they're at and then letting them go on that journey.
0: Every time every time and it's almost the opposite of the path of least resistance uh-huh. isn't it did you already have the partnerships with those charities set up if not how did you set them up and how are those relationships now the project has finished what's the legacy is there any legacy to the work that you've created
1: yeah so I definitely would say that um at Thames Reach, we, I'd worked with before at National, um, but didn't have a relationship with Young Vic beforehand. So that was nice to bring them in in that way. Um, Blackfriars, we used to offer them tickets because we also do a free ticket scheme for when we're open. Obviously, have shows um, for people in Amberton Suffolk, So they've come in that way. Um, and then certitude I think we only started having a relationship with them like six months before that when we'd done another project called unpacked so um and we just like brought a show to them so this was like, a chance to really embed them more in something longer term and so um I think it was really nice to be in a situation where we were like oh, okay um now we have a longer term legacy and relationship like these films will be on the website for th- the next three years um we'll, yeah we'll be on the the films will be on the website for the next three years and the organizations will um when we get back together you know in person we'll all celebrate together they'll be able to engage with us more tickets and more workshops so yeah generally it will be it's a forever, it's a forever family now. It's a forever, you know, we're, we're, we are a community all together in my mind and in, the, in their mind as well. We very much like, if you were there at that much point, you would have felt that energy from all of us, you know?
0: Yeah. And just to dig a little deeper into the creative process, did the participants work with the writer? How often were the workshops? Were they week to week? Or did you do a couple few, over a few days? What was the creative process for those participants how was the work generated
1: yeah so they were weekly workshops and it started with the director and assistant director and then it moved on to the writer and then um eventually it was meant to be scaffolded in a certain way but obviously you know covid kicked up stuff so but they had then workshops with the designer and the sound designer um and then the film company so they had those kind of like week to week build up before kind of going into rehearsal mode.
0: Mm. And how did they then handle the rehearsal process? Was the energy different to the workshop energy? How how did that change?
1: It, it- yeah people are really excited once they have a script i think because they they're like oh yeah that came from this workshop that we were talking about the other day and this is what i was saying about blah 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 so people like to see themselves and like know that they were listened to and that that was putting something creative i think that's really nice for them to see and for them to be going through that process with the writer they have a connection with that person so um they automatically i think feel ownership over those characters that are written specifically for them um would definitely make me feel special, so I definitely
0: think it made them feel special. Right. And the next film I want to talk about is the Under My Barbie Duvet. Film, oh,
1: Under My Barbie Duvet, yeah. which
0: I absolutely loved. The animation, that the animation was incredible, and, and I saw that the animators are actually a set designer by trade. How did that process come about? That film, it, honestly, I really, really enjoyed it.
1: Um, That completely was the first project that we did post lockdown. So that was a project that up until like, you know, it was meant to be a play in like April. So everything was worked up until that time. So what you're seeing there, Tom, is like just a great pivot, to be honest. of every single creative involved of making that happen and making that creatively be so strong was just everybody making their skills transferable.
0: Uh, congratulations to the team because honestly the work the work was outstanding and what I think I admired the most about it as a youth theatre director myself was how well you presented the young people's voices in the work I think time and time again we we try to create work that is first and foremost co-collaborative but secondly I think has an organic truthfulness to it where we're hoping that the young people find that mm-hmm. the process yeah. and the performance speaks speaks their voice and speaks their opinion whether right or wrong but but is a but is a true reflection of what it means to be a young person today or the or the views mm-hmm. and and the opinions mm-hmm. of young people living in 2021 and just some of the discussions and some of the topics that were brought up like how well those workshops must have gone for you to be able to generate that sort of content what what was the process like how did the young people make that work and as a facilitator how did you go about drawing that what i will
1: say is actually like it's not very in, different to the question you asked before to be fair i would say that the way in which we work with the lead-in time that we have and the and the planning towards the projects and the pastoral care with the projects is about one working really closely with the organizations that we engage the young people, older people, whoever with, um, and making sure that they are included. It's not about young Vic coming in, doing a workshop every Thursday at your at your center or whatever else. It's about us having an active partnership where your staff is in the building where that pastoral care could be supported in that way. Um, and we're working together to be creative and your staff can be involved in this in, as well creatively. Um, so we feel like well, there is an active exchange of practice happening. And so I'd say, I think we do that approach to every single thing that we do. Um, and the longer term and more in depth, the, the better, in my opinion, the quality of the work comes out. Yeah, of it. I hear
0: that. Well, surely. So what, Surely, though, you didn't, it isn't, for lack of a better term, you didn't just stumble upon a group who were happy to share and comfortable enough to discuss some of the subject matter that those young people explore within that piece. Yeah. Like, How does that happen? Yeah, how does that happen? What process did you take? In order to engage those young people in those conversations, in order to generate the work. I think,
1: again, I'm oh, sorry, I'm going <laughs> to fine, go back fine. with the first thing. Like it, I think when you have a true, like, it's kind of like ask yourself, how do you get to in a space where you feel comfortable enough to discuss your personal business with your friends? It comes from growing an energy of of trust and um, loyalty and a longer term example of. Uh, relationship and so again i just have to kind of go back to if that's our ethos from the jump then it will just naturally come out in those conversations it's not about us coaxing for what we we're not looking for anything and i think young people older people everyone can see through uh our you know uh people's aims and objectives and we're not coming in there with an aim of objectives we're not like tell us your trauma story or tell us when you found joy or tell us whatever you know, there are certain things that as a facilitator, you can come with provocations of things like that, but people are going to talk about what they want to talk about, really. And you can frame it in a way. And I think also it's about, it's more about how you navigate, how you present something rather than it is about coaxing something from someone and maybe putting yourself first in that. So say if you were uh, saying a game, you know, which is a like saying the story of your name, and then I would, and I would start with myself, and I would talk about the story of my name, and I might say something that to everyone else seems really personal, but I'm really happy to share. Might help that energy of being like I've shared something personal about me, but isn't too personal so that it's indicative of now where you're not going to know where I live and where I work and who my friends are and all of this. But it's personal enough to know that I trust you in this safe space. And I think by creating an environment of safe space, people will feel more inclined to speak up about what they want to speak up about.
0: Yeah, and how did the young people react to seeing the film? Obviously, they were expecting to make a performance
1: everyone's disappointed about something not being done the way that they think it's going to be done. So obviously, but at that time, no one knew, no one knew how long we were not going to be able to be on stage for. But I think that they, they were definitely, uh, both them and Baytree, who's the centre that we engage with, with this, were very happy and excited um, and proud of the work that they had put in and done. Because, you know, a lot of that was filming over Zoom in their spaces a lot went into it and sending equipment to their house and stuff to make sure that things were filmed or lit the right way so they were they enjoyed the process but definitely like really love the product as well
0: so what's next 2021 what does that hold for you and the young Vic
1: um so many great things <laughs> so later on this year we'll be doing a project uh called uh, unpacked where we'll be taking um something really exciting to uh community organizations and individuals in lambeth S- and suburb um and directing that will be stepho driscoll um and it will be around fun and joy and music and laughter and we're going to be um doing some high quality work on that right now so we're in r&d process around that And then also we are going to be uh, doing our next 2020 as it were. So we're going to be, it's not going to be called 2020, but we're going to be doing our next kind of longer term engagement project, Um, but this time it will be aimed at young people. So I can't talk about it too much yet, unfortunately, but I would say just keep watching the space of Young Vic website, our Twitter, Young Vic taking part um, and signing up to our mailing list. Brilliant.
0: That's really good to hear. And before we finish, I just want to loop back around to where we started with this interview in regards to discussing how organisations practice and put into position pathways and opportunities for its communities and how theatres are reflective of the communities in their city. And you've listed lots of incredible examples of places that do that incredibly well and are very successful at mm-hmm. broadcasting work, creating work that is reflective of communities in its city. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you take away from that and implement into theatres that may not do such a good job? You know, in your opinion, how do theatres go about making sure that they are completely representative mm. of its communities and city?
1: Um, I think that uh, it's about having more representation in the top in exec roles, in boards, in senior management, um, but also being mindful of having a diversity of race, of thought because um, and, and class. Um, in that and I think it's about really listening and responding and working out what is important to you in this time I think a lot of people are watching places and individuals that show that integrity is key um and a lot of people haven't been showing the best of themselves and people have a long memory and I know I have whether it's you know uh, individuals, whether it's organizations, whether it's agencies, Uh, whatever I have a very long memory and you never know who's going to make it at what time you never know who's going to be hiring you at what time so whoever feels like they're at the top and untouchable and making these decisions really haphazardly they need to really be just I think mindful of um, how the tables can turn really Um, and I think that uh, people as well who are at the top or in senior management roles who are more diverse and feel quite lonely with that them just like really working hard to keep that door open and, and pushing those agendas to making sure that we have more of a range in our in our industry and we actively commit to the cultural reset that we've all been and if I didn't love them I wouldn't say this um because I don't love everyone I promise you that but I would say that young Vic it actively wants to listen There's a difference between pretending and putting out a statement and actively wanting to listen. Often we talk about things so much that we don't make a decision quick enough, in my opinion. But we talk about things and we want to hear what everyone thinks and we take the time to do that. And I think that often fools rush in. And so with that listening came initiatives like having the ambassador trustees that we've recently um, getting, having stuff like our young board and leadership program we're doing in participation, having stuff like training our young mentors to actually pay consultancy to, um, to pay them to give consultancy to older people rather than just expecting young people to do that for free. Um, and so you're honoring what weight that holds and information and, um that holds sends a clear message out to the rest of the organization, to the rest of the sector, um, to how important, we hold different ranges of thoughts um, and how we really recognize that young people are the yeah. future of what we do
0: yeah wow great thank you for that shireen um and i i just want to say a massive thank you for your time today um it's been incredibly inspirational to you speak about your wonderful career and all the wonderful opportunities that you are curating for young people in the city of london so Thank you, and and hopefully this is the start of an ongoing conversation between the two of us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
1: It's been nice talking to you, Tom. Speak soon. Bye.